Mad Unreal, episode 16. This is Arthur, that is Isaac. We are still social distancing. I had a birthday yesterday. I had a socially distant birthday yesterday. Uh, that was actually quite nice. Happy 29th, despite, despite the session. Happy 29th. I appreciate that. <laughs> did you get any cake, ice cream, or how did it, you know, what, what, do, you, what do you do on your birthday? What do you, is there a certain meal or a certain something you like, or you just, you know... You just let what come what may. Um. Well, I'm I'm I'm, I'm pretty easy, um, but I got nice presents though. I've got um. It's it's not gonna arrive until uh until uh, mid May, but the, oh yeah, uh, the Tell Criterion what you collection. Got. So the Criterion collection. Um, if you're not familiar, you should be. But Criterion um is a uh, independent company who licenses classic films and does um restoration in some cases um beautifully repackaged um dvds and blu-rays in my case uh i'm getting the original godzilla movies from i think 1934 through 1975 Mm. and i haven't even read about it i saw a trailer on twitter last month but i hadn't even read the details i still got to read the details of everything that's included Mm. but the packaging just looks really awesome this sounds like top ten, top five gifts of all time. It, it it's it's up there. It's up there. A couple of years ago, I got the Blu-ray for. Um, I mean, no special packaging, but it's like the Blu-ray for Blade Runner. Mm-hmm. Like where it's like four the four versions of of the of uh, the full film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, and this this it's, I it's think nice this highlights the importance of the kind of the still the 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 perseverance of physical media. You know, because um, in this day and age physical media is obviously not as in demand as it was, you know, 20, 30 years ago, um, even 10 years ago. But, you know, these type of special editions and all the things that you can get, um, the bonuses that you can get, and not to mention mm-hmm. the the quality, you know, the, the visual right. quality, the sound quality is still much superior um, to streaming. So mm-hmm. these it types is. of things, I think, and maybe we do a show on that one time, sometime, but I feel that physical media is just still very important. Plus, man, it's also the the availability. It's the knowledge that, you know what, this is right there on my shelf and nobody, and you know, barring somebody breaking into the crib and stealing it, yeah. nobody can take this away from me. Whereas, how many times have you looked for a movie or thought there was a movie on some streaming service or something and it's not there or they they announce, hey, you, you we're taking this down and, you know, uh, at the end of the month, so you need to watch it now if you want it, you know. So I, I, I still believe in physical media and I still um, covet it at times and, you know, to open in those packages and, you know, how we are reading the liner notes and right. all the booklets and all that shit. Right. It's, just, it's a good experience. Yeah. And all of it works without an Internet connection. Exactly. Flawlessly. Exactly. You, you don't have to worry about any buffering, um, dropouts, you know, none of that type of stuff. None of that. So, right. um, listen, before we get started, something special is happening on what, uh, when, on May 12th, something, May something the 12th, some, something special is happening. We're going to have a, another special episode. Um, what, what, what's happening right now is we are, we are, uh, two weeks into the Clone Wars Siege of Mandalore, uh, story arc, the final four episodes of the seventh season and, uh, our May 12th edition is going to be a review and discussion about all four parts so um 
we'll be speaking about it as one continuous film almost and and man hopefully i think you mentioned that you gave me this idea that they might even release this in theaters yeah i mean listen the internet is going crazy twitter is going crazy right now for these the first two episodes we've already seen and Mm -hmm. they are being presented as a a film you know it's like the beginning of episode nine um or is it old friends united again or something like that the old friends together again i can't remember yeah. the name of it um but it was presented as you know the beginning of a movie and this was part one of this this film mm-hmm. and it would not surprise me at all and you know i'm not the only one that's speculating on this i've seen this on twitter too that they it wouldn't surprise me at all if in 2021 maybe maybe uh, december 2020 2021 they released this um the siege of mandalore all four mm-hmm. of these parts as one movie um a clone wars movie and maybe they add you know 10 or 15 minutes of extra um yeah. extra footage extra scenes um to make sure that you know people who have already seen it don't feel like hey why would i go to the theater to see something mm-hmm. i've already seen you get extra um you get extra story extra parts of the story um you know i i, I could just see this on the big screen and i you know obviously i know you and i would be uh, you know first on there to uh, be there day one um but you know it just it just really is it has an epic feel to it um it really has an epic feel so yeah we wanted to rather than break this thing down and do a review like episode by episode um we wanted to just give you guys like a full on Clone Wars because this is you know this is the end of the Clone Wars series um, unless you know yeah. something happens and they're like yo we're gonna bring the Clone Wars back for eighth season this is it so um, it has to be it because it's the end of the Clone Wars you know what I'm saying mm-hmm. the Siege of Mandalore this goes right into Revenge of the Sith so this mm-hmm. is it this is the end of the Clone Wars so um, yeah on May twelfth we're just gonna do a special all out siege of mandalore um episode where we're going to do a review give our thoughts answer any questions you guys may have um talk about any of the thoughts that you guys may bring up so um we'll get a you know hashtag out there make sure you guys um, have time to hit us up before the episode before we record so we can include you in it but it's going to be cool it's going to be really cool all right well uh we've got a exciting show today that we want to um bring to you so let's get started this is mad unreal episode 16 let's go okay uh we got a few things on the docket uh some quick mad thoughts uh for the first time in its 50 year history comic con has been canceled Mm. for 2020 um no real surprise there um Usually, Comic-Con would herald uh, some massive detail and kick off a wild expectations for what would be coming down the pike uh, over the next 18 months. Mm-hmm. And um, um, this is, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's almost not even a blow anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, it's like because there have been so many things that have been delayed either through you know months or even up to you know a year more than a year it's just kind of like hit after hit after hit now there's a certain uh desensitizing right that's going on because yeah. um i mean you know how you know how you feel bad when you when you 
hear about uh, a celebrity that passed away and you're like oh man they were still alive like you know <laughs> right, i had this kind of reaction <laughs> right. i was like oh they they just oh i thought that had been canceled yeah. you know you never really thought about it yeah i was i was looking for it to get canceled I'm, I'm you know obviously it was the right move on their part um nobody's gonna argue with that it was the responsible thing to do um but san diego comic-con like you said it's just you know it's a major major um push you know, it's a major, major unveiling. It's a major, major. Um, it just keeps the the uh, propulsion of the industry, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. going and really just kind of like as serves as kind of like a a homecoming for the industry and then also a launch pad for the industry for what's about to happen next. So, you know, it, it is something that we all expected, but it's notable that it's the first time in 50 years that it's been held. Right. I, and I've never been to San Diego Comic Con. Um, I, I think we should go. We should definitely go. Um, if not next year, then maybe next the year after. But um, it has been postponed for a year. They didn't just push it back by a couple of months. They just said it's canceled for this year. It'll be back in twenty twenty one. But what's interesting to me, man, is also I, I, you know we've talked about this before. I'm of the age where I remember um, going to comic conventions when I was a kid, a little kid mm-hmm. in the '80s, and the, you know it was just such a different thing then you know what I'm saying the industry was nowhere near what it is now as far right. as the movie industry and the film right. and the tv industry so comic conventions were a comic convention they were about comic books they were a chance for you to go and like not only meet artists and writers um mm-hmm. but also to get comics that you had a hard time getting your, getting your hands on otherwise you know because you'd have a convergence of you know comic book retailers from all over the region come to this mm-hmm. one place um, so it was a chance to get that, you know, special edition or a giant size, whatever, whatever that you, you know, couldn't get at your local shop. And, you know, you had a problem getting a hold of and you just you come across it, you know, at the comic uh, comic convention. And it was always something special. It was, it was kind of akin to, I guess, digging in the crates from, you know, for DJs, yeah. um, you know, coming across just those special things that you either were looking for or weren't looking for. Or just got lucky. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a fun time. So to see it come all the way to this point where the last convention I went to was the, um, the one here, um, uh, C2, was it C2E2, C2, I can't remember the name of it here in Chicago. It was like a Schomburg or Rosemont? Um, no, it was, it was at the last time I went, it was at McCormick Place. Um, okay. this was a few years ago and it's a huge convention, you know, it's a major mm-hmm. convention and, uh, it was a lot of fun. Um, and there still were opportunities to, you know, dig in the crates, so to speak and find, mm-hmm you know, certain comics, but then there are just artists, there were writers, there were people, you know, movie industry elements, TV. Um, it was just, it was just so much bigger, you know, than it was back in the eighties. And um, I'm still a little nostalgic for those, you know, old school comic book conventions, yeah. but at the same time, I respect where it's at now and um, to see, yeah. So this, I, I guess I say all that to say it is notable that this is the first time San Diego comic Con has been convinced, has been canceled. Um, but I do think it was it was the right thing to do. It was a smart thing to do. You know, let me ask you this. So uh, folks that have purchased uh, badges for, for this year, um, the organizers of Comic-Con are letting them either request a refund, you know, or or transfer their badges to next year. So if mm-hmm. you have registration for Comic-Con 2020, mm-hmm. you don't have to do anything if you want to just go, you know, next year. Um the thing that I wonder about, though, is if the next Comic-Con 2021, if that's going to have a lower than normal attendance. Mm. 
you know, if this is almost like um, a reset button, you know, or or a purge mm-hmm. that the people that come to Comic Con twenty twenty one, you know, are like the new seed of diehards, mm. Mm. you know, mixed with the with you know the newer generations and some of the older heads that have been going to Comic Con, you know, mm. over the last oh, gosh you know 50 years right um so which means that you know the oldest comic-con attendee would be somewhere you know late 60s early 70s mm-hmm. at least <clears throat> yeah, right you know so I, I i wonder if if these kinds of breaks in conventions mm-hmm. and this could be extended you would think to you know e2 video games and um developer conventions that microsoft and apple and google put on and facebook put on you know if if this would be sort of a reset Mm. maybe they're not if they're three days maybe now they're two days you know Mm. if they're you know 20 sessions a day maybe it drops down to 15 or 12 you know it's just a kind of well with the movie you know with the the film industry in particular and we're going to get into this in a minute i think that this you know 2021 and 2022 are about to be so crowded you know Mm because of all these delays and all these reschedulings into those years that if you know the mood is right next summer um it basically if next summer is drastically different than this summer yeah then i could actually see it being much more crowded because there's gonna be so many things to talk about so many things mm-hmm. to announce um just because there's gonna be so much happening between 2021 and 2022 and even 2023 and you know that at the at san diego comic-con typically major um uh corporations or major studios announce things that they're going to be working on over the next two to three years so mm-hmm. yeah i mean it could it could go either way i mean if word if word gets out that hey you know so-and-so is going to be at hall h and this is going to happen and blah 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 all these big yeah. things are happening then i could actually see more people wanting to go and they may actually add more things right now san diego comic-con is a four-day event um mm-hmm. i don't see it exceeding four days you know you know thursday through sunday or friday through monday um, but I don't see it contracting unless, um, there's just, unless this next summer ends up looking like this summer, you know, or, or a shade of this summer, then yeah, I could see it contract. But I, I think it may grow. I think it may actually grow. That's why I said, that's why I said, I think it was right for them to not say, Hey, we're just going to push it back by a few months. I think it was right for them to go ahead and just schedule it for 2021 and just say, we're not, ha- we're not having it this year. Yeah. Okay. All right. So from one, uh, Delay to another. Um, the next two installments of Tom Cruise's successful Mission Impossible series, Mission Impossible 7, which was due out July of 2021, and Mission Impossible 8, uh, which was actually due August the 5th of 2022, uh, have been pushed back. So, uh, you know, I was actually surprised that I didn't realize that Mission Impossible 8 had already been announced. So mm-hmm. it makes me think that maybe they're filming these two back to back. films back to back, but as like, you know, a two part movie. Yeah. And well, first of all, let's let's, you know, we could have sat here for an hour and discussed all the this rescheduling that happened the last week. You know, there's yeah. been like yeah. a grip of movies have been trading places and playing musical chairs basically all week. And a lot of them mm-hmm. Marvel movies. De- so, and you know, movie studios typically don't like to you know open a movie the same week that another major studio is opening another temple you know it's just not good right. business um right. for either one of them but 
they are basically, you know, trying to find these slots because like we just talked about, 2021 is about to be so crowded and 2022 is about to be so crowded. So mm-hmm. it was crazy this week with all these delays and, you know, or all these announced delays and reschedulings. Um, as far as Mission Impossible, though, I think the reason that we want to talk about this is yeah, because of what you just said. <clears throat> this is a, you know, they are filming these back to back, which kind of concerns me. You know, I've, I've I've never been. I think we talked about this before. I'm not a big proponent of filming movies back to back. I think it was Christopher Nolan said that he likes to. He had a chance to do that with Dark Knight and Dark mm-hmm. Knight Rises, yeah. which in retrospect maybe maybe he should have done. Maybe he actually <laughs> should have done them back to back. But he did say something during the filming that, that I thought was kind of um, interesting. He said, you know he likes to have time between the movies because something may change in his mind or he, he wants to live life mm-hmm. basically. And, you know, something may influence him, you know, it's like you, you give stuff time to breathe. Right. Um, and you can see there is those dark night and dark night rises are very different movies, you know, in terms mm-hmm. of how he filmed them. Um, and like I said, in my opinion, that was to the detriment of the, of the latter film, but that's another discussion. Um, but yeah, MI seven, MI eight back to back, they probably will share a storyline. You got to imagine this has got to be Tom Cruise's last Mission Impossible. That's what I'm, yeah, that's what I'm thinking, eight. yeah. Um, unless he's going to take on a role in Mission Impossible 9 where it's like he's not in the field as much. Maybe he's, mm-hmm. you know, the director or something like that. I don't know. But um, this has got to be his last. MI8 is probably going to be his last one where he's front and center. Um, so these aren't significant delays. You know, these are by, it basically takes them both from being summer movies into being fall movies and holiday movies. You know, they're opening up the holidays. Right, 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 right. Because um, each one of these so, are supposed to be out the respective Novembers, November 2021, November 2022. Right. I mean, I think what we saw with Star Wars a couple of years ago when, you know, Force Awakens, December, you know, and then Star mm-hmm. Wars went on to dominate December for the next, um, uh, whatever, uh, three movies, two movies. So, it seems like yeah, more and more em- more and more emphasis is being put on the holiday season. I mean, holiday season was already big, but now to your point, it seems like yeah, a lot of this summer stuff is being pushed into fall slash winter um, for the holidays. So, MI seven being November, which would basically be a year after No Time to Die. So we get No yeah. Time to Die this year in November. MI seven um, November twenty twenty one and MI eight twenty twenty two. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's not a major shift, but these are movies that are being filmed back to back. And you, to your point, they got to contain somewhat of the same storyline, I would imagine. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how, you know, how this affects, you know, does this shift anything story wise? Because they're, you know, they've halted production, obviously. Mm-hmm. Are they rethinking any of this or are they just going full steam ahead with what they have? Um, but I mean, I'm still I mean, listen. Fallout, Rogue Nation, um, and Ghost Protocol, boom, boom, boom. You know, a trilogy that's like, you know, epic. You know, it's like that, the fact that those were the, um, it came in the latter part of this franchise, that when does that ever happen? You know, outside of Creed, when does a movie, you know, come back after so many years of the, the really first break movie? late with good storytelling, yeah. Right, right. So, you know, we can't really, and Christopher McCor- Christopher McCory, who's doing both MI7 and MI8, you know, he did Rogue Nation or uh, uh, Fallout. I think he did. Did he do Rogue Nation as well? No, no, no. That was uh, Brad Bird. Um, no, Brad Bird did Ghost Protocol. Ghost Protocol. I know Brad Bird did Ghost Protocol. Christopher McQuarrie may have done um, MI6 too. I'm not sure. <clears throat> but anyway, Christopher McQuarrie did um, Fallout. 
you know, he seems to have an understanding of this franchise and mm-hmm. a vision that works very well with what Tom Cruise wants to do. So whenever these movies come out, they're going to be juggernauts. Um, I hope they are as good as fallout. Um, if they are at that level, man, it's going to be, it's going to be great to get one in November of 2021. And then no, we only got a year to wait, you know, a la end game. We've only got a year to wait for the next one. Okay. Uh, last up on the list is, uh, now this came to me late. So you may, you may, it would help me out if you kind of set this up a little bit, but there's Um, a new star Wars series. Yeah. That, did you see uh, Russian Disney's Doll on, on Netflix? See, I did, did see not, it? and I'm okay. a big Amy Poehler fan. Okay, yeah, uh, she's big fan of Parks and Rec, um, and uh, and and also Broad City. Uh, although that's you know, I, yeah, I, I, I'm you know, touch I and go with Broad, Broad City depending City. on what's I, I, what storyline is. <laughs> right, it gets wild, doesn't they, it? Yeah, yeah. They, they escalate very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I gotta finish Broad City though. I think I, I stopped after a couple seasons. I gotta get back on that. But okay, so Leslie Headland is the. Um, one of the co-creators of Russian Doll and Russian Doll on Netflix was a comedy show, but it was also, it has some very kind of um, existential elements to it. Um, there was some thinking, you know, behind that show that I found very interesting. And especially when you get into the last couple episodes, um, essentially it's about, you know, it's a groundhog day thing, you know, it's a, mm-hmm. um, a woman who basically she's, I think she's a game developer or video game developer it's her birthday and she keeps reliving her birthday. She keeps reliving the same day and it happens to be her birthday. Um, and I, you know, I actually, I need to go back and watch it too. Cause I burned through it really quickly when it first came out and I can't remember too much about it. That's the one thing about binging, um, is that you forget stuff after, you know, mm-hmm. a year, you don't forgot what, what the show, what, you know, the elements of the show. So, but I do remember it had, it, it was funny, but it wasn't just comedy. It was some kind of heady elements to it. And so Leslie Headland, who was the co-creator of that and the showrunner of that show, um, has now been tapped by Lucasfilm to create a, you know, D plus Disney plus show, um, live action Star Wars show. So the last thing I saw about this, um, I'll just read it straight off of, uh, was this, um, this came off of, uh, collider.com. Um, actually, they, they got this from Deadline. So it says Deadline reports that Headland's idea is an action thriller set in an alternate timeline than the main Star Wars series. Let me say that again. It's an um, action thriller set in an alternate timeline than the main Star Wars series. And it will incorporate martial martial arts elements. So that says a lot but then it doesn't say a lot like i don't Mm -hmm. know what that an alternate timeline so then the main star wars series obviously they're saying this is not going to have to do with with any of the um obviously none of the skywalker stuff none of the clone war stuff yeah um not even the mandalorian stuff you know they're saying alternate timeline so this kind of follows with their whole high Republic thing of trying to get away from this whole Skywalker thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but when they say action thriller, that, 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 that part right there, the thriller part is what excites me, you know, action mm-hmm. is, you know, obviously it's going to be mm-hmm. action, but action thriller, is this going to be espionage? Is this going to be, you know, what, what is this going to be, you know? And the martial arts element, I'm like, eh, I don't know. Do I want martial arts in Star Wars? I mean, we've seen them do martial arts, obviously. We've seen them do hand-to-hand martial arts, especially in the uh, Clone Wars and some of the other things, Rebels even. Um, Rogue One also. Rogue, Rogue One. One. Yeah, Rogue One especially, you're right. Um, but do we 
does that is that going to be the, how do you bring martial arts into Star Wars? Like, if that's is that going to be one of the focuses or I don't know. You know, it's kind of right. an ambiguous. It's kind of an ambiguous statement. Well, uh, I want to see Russian Dolls too. Um, Natasha Leon co-created that with Amy Poehler, so that's where the Amy Poehler uh, mm-hmm. reference came. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am not confused, but uh, alternate timeline doesn't really move me because it's sort of like, okay, is this Old Republic? Is this a thousand years after the Skywalker saga? Is this? Mm. It's like you know, why do you, it's a galaxy? Why do you necessarily need to even say what timeline it is? <laughs> right, um, <laughs> right. You could just you say it's happening saying? over here. You know, what yeah. saying it's happening way over there. Why yeah. does it have to be? I guess because maybe they feel as if, even if it's on the you know the outer realm or wherever, or the um, it's it, they feel like maybe it's going to the empire and the whole war that's going on, um, closer to the to Coruscant or wherever. It's going to mm-hmm. always impact any anything else that's happening. Maybe that, maybe that's the way they feel. I don't know, but uh, I, I'm with you though. Yeah, um, I'm a little concerned of how to differentiate this show with uh, Diego Luna's Cassian mm-hmm. series that's supposed to happen, given the action thriller, right. because that seems to be what Cassian's MO was, mm-hmm. um, as well as being a, a spy. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I, I think that um, we're not the only ones to think about that. I think I think Disney Brass is thinking about the same thing. <laughs> you right. know, how, to, how, to, how are we going to differentiate this? Right. And there's room, there's room enough, you know, if they're both action thrillers, there's maybe there's room for that, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I just want to me, I just want to see some thinking come into this because I did see a level of that in, in Russian Doll. And it's, again, I got I need to watch it again. But I felt like if memory serves, there was a level of, like I said, existentialism yeah. um, within Russian Doll that made it more interesting than it wasn't just about, you know, this is a comedy. Um, it was more than that. And so I would like to see that brought into star Wars, um, yep. you know, at, yep. a, at a deep level. I think the Mandalorian has done a good job of bringing in elements that we weren't necessarily expecting. You know, mm-hmm. I think for the Mandalorian debut, we were thinking, Oh, you know, straight up action Western, you know, he's going to come in blasting. And then we got all this kind of other that we, you know, we did reviews on this show diving into the layers of that show. And it, it was really mm-hmm. intriguing. You know, some of the things that were being said between the lines, especially on some of the better episodes, um, so I want to see Star Wars continue in that vein and can, you know, continue pushing the envelope and not just give, you know, lightsabers and space battles. Um, so hopefully bringing on Leslie Headland, hope, hopefully that's a good sign of them, you know, continue to move into that to that lane. All right. OK, that's out of the way. Let's get to the main topic. Mm. This is something I'm actually excited about talking uh, through. Um uh, I am going to defer to Isaac to set this up a little bit, but um, a few days ago, Isaac uh, brought something to my attention, a tweet that raised uh, an interesting point, and it was comedic, but it has some very serious you know, implications uh, attached to it, uh, having to do with Batman. Yeah, and you know, we're always on Twitter looking around, um, checking out what you guys are talking about, hashtag Mad Unreal, by the way. Um, but yeah, I, I saw this and to date, this tweet has 500,000 likes. Um, so <laughs> uh-huh. Chances are you've seen this tweet as well. Um, 91,000 retweets. So 
Randall Otis, who is, um, I'm, and, and I guess we should say we don't know Randall. We don't, you know, I'm not endorsing him or not, not I'm not not endorsing him. We don't know right. this cat. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just happened to see his tweet. I think somebody who follows him on my timeline liked it or whatever. So I saw it. Um, but Randall, his, his bio says uh, he's a Daily Show writer. Um, he has himself has 32,000 followers. So you may know him, um, especially if you're a, a Daily Show fan. Uh, but the tweet, the tweet is very short, but very funny and very poignant. I read it. The reason Batman doesn't cover his whole face is because he needs the police to know he's white. Read it again. The reason Batman doesn't cover his whole face is because he needs the police to know he's white. So, and there's 3,000, about 3,000 comments attached to this tweet. So I'm sure there's a, <laughs> a lot of discussion around it. I'm not going to uh-huh. read those, but obviously, I mean, I laughed out loud, li- literally laughed out loud when I saw it. Um, and I think I sent it to you and Jay and was like, yo, this is, this shit is hilarious. But then after thinking about it, you know, some more, it's like, listen, we've had conversations like that. Um, you and I, you know, the, you know, all of us, I've had them with other, you know, friends, other, other people throughout the years. What if, you know, in general, what if, you know, any black, any, any major superhero is white? What if super, if Superman was black? What if, yeah. you know, Captain America was black? Well, he's been black, so to speak. Um, but then specifically, you know, what if Batman was black? And mm-hmm. so I thought that tweet was a good chance for us to really actually, after we finished laughing at, at my man Randall's, you know, the way he phrased it and kind of the poignancy behind what he's saying and the reality of what he's saying, um, which, as we know, the, the funniest jokes are the ones that hold a very you know strong element of truth within them. That's the funniest things in life. So there's a there's a strong element of truth in what Randall was saying in mm-hmm. his tweet. But then it brought to mind for us, you know, let's really look at that and say, OK, what if, you know, um, the Batman was a black man? And so to look at that, we're going to we decided to break it up into, into parts because it's not just. I think what Randall's alluding to is obviously one part, you know, his interaction with the guy right. from PD. Right. Um, but then we started, we wanted to look at it from a holistic level and just look at Batman's journey from beginning to end and say, okay, what would, what would change? What would be the same? What would be different? What type of nuances would have, would have to switch or be manipulated, you know, um, to really look at it um, from a, a complete point of view. So what's, what's, we're going to do part one today, right? Yeah, so we want to talk about the origins of the Batman, um, going back to the boy Bruce Wayne, um, living and growing up in Wayne Manor uh, with his parents for a time. Yeah, and I think we should, before we start, let's say um, there's a lot of different, I mean, Batman is a character that's been around for over 50 years, 60 years, I think by now, but there's a lot of storylines. There's a lot of canonical storytelling with Batman. Um, some of the elements obviously have always stayed the same, um, such as, you know, uh, Alfred and his parents were killed. And, you know, there's certain mm-hmm. things that are that are definitely like written in canon and, and aren't going to really change. But there has been a lot of variations throughout the years on certain elements of his story. So to make this simple, um, I think what we decided to do was kind of use... Um, the, Nolan the Christopher films. Nolan films yeah. um, that came out, you know, in, in the um, early, early to mid 2000s, 2005 through 2011, 12, I think. Um, and use those as a template because those are the ones that mostly everybody has seen. Even some of you who are listening who aren't hardcore Batman, 
you've seen the Christopher Nolan fans or films. So you understand the, that story. Mm-hmm. So in that, and to be honest, to be real, that story, you know, he derived a lot of that obviously from the comic books. And some of those elements I think were, um, very true to some of the best comic book storytelling involving Batman, as far as his origins and kind of his rise, um, in Gotham. So that to, to make this simple, not to say we aren't going to ever discuss um, other elements, things that come in from the comics, but basically we're going to use the Christopher Nolan films as kind of a template and a basis for our discussion. Yeah. And so, um, so part one origins, it's part one origins. So, you know, one thing when we're, when we're introduced to, uh, to the Batman story and we learn about Bruce Wayne, who has a turning point after, um, being an eyewitness to the brutal murder uh, of his parents, he's he's portrayed as being rich. His family is generationally wealthy. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, it, the first thing you have to wonder is, all right. So as a as a as a black family in America, and the uh, even though the Nolan. Uh, films don't necessarily establish, you know, a a, a time, mm-hmm. but you could, but but you know, it's safe to say that we're talking about, you know, the middle of the twentieth century. Right, it was modern. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, the films, you know, Batman Begins dropped in two thousand and five, and based on the technology and the way they, sh- you know, what that was portrayed in the movie, mm-hmm. we, as far as like the present day of that movie, we had no reason not to feel it was, you know, it's 2005. So right, going right. back to when Bruce was a kid, we're looking at probably, you know, the eighties or nineties, you know, the eighties probably or late seventies. Okay. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. So with his parents, um, his parents being wealthy, um, and you know, presumably his grandparents being wealthy, how would a black family, uh, acquire that kind of fortune uh, in the United States. They wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you let know, me ask you this: Who is the first black billionaire? Um, do you, know? So, you do know. So you, you don't. You don't think you know, but you do know. The answer is closer than you think. <laughs> you ain't got to go that far back. It was Robert Johnson. It was Robert Johnson, founder and, of BET. Right. So we're talking about the probably the the 90s maybe when he hit cross that billion mark or the, maybe right. even the, or the early 2000s mm-hmm. so if you're talking about if you take the wayne family make them into a take them from being in a european a fam, family of a, 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 an american family with european ancestry yeah. and then turn them into a family an american family with african ancestry they don't acquire that wealth you know, they're not generation. They're, you know, how would a black family in America have wealth going all the way back mm-hmm. to antebellum, the antebellum South? Because listen, at one point in Batman Begins, remember, Alfred says to Bruce something along the lines of, you know, your family, your great, great, great grandfather um, was a part of the Underground Railroad. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he used these caves. Remember, they're 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 under not they're underneath Wayne Manor and mm-hmm. they're exploring you know, the caves as Bruce is like finally, you know, deciding, okay, I'm gonna become this Batman figure. So I need a, I need a headquarters and he's underneath Wayne Manor in the caves. And that's when Alfred tells him, yeah, your great, great, great grandfather used these caves. He was a part of the underground railroad. Mm -hmm. This was a part of that, you know, network that Mm -hmm. transported, you know, enslaved Africans from the South to the North. Um, and we're presuming of course that Gotham is in the North. So, 
how, you know, that tie their wealth, the Wayne family wealth goes all the way back, you know, yeah. uh, a century, you know what I'm saying? If not more, but at least a century. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're talking about a time in American history when obviously um, the gross majority of um, people of African descent in America, especially one in the South, were enslaved. Um, and then in the North, mm-hmm. the, you know, people of African ancestry uh, did not have access to that type of wealth or that type of wealth building. Um, so, yeah, to answer your question, they wouldn't, you know, he, he would not. It's, it's, I think it's, it's fair to assume that, OK, the Wayne family, were they black by 2005, you could say they were rich or they maybe they had hundreds of millions of dollars. But would it be generational wealth? No, I don't think so. Well, I am inclined to agree. Um, you know, although I, you know, I did find somewhat of a parallel. Um, the idea being that um, the Chicago Defender, mm, the uh, which was founded by Robert Abbott in uh, in the early 20th century, I believe 1905, mm-hmm. um, was a newspaper that um, was inherited by his nephew, uh, trained by Abbott, John Sinstack. Mm-hmm. Um, the the Defender was uh, distributed from the north to the south through um, porters on trains. Mm-hmm. And it gave blacks in the south, the north as well, but it gave black families in the south you know, an impetus to migrate to the north. And it was a catalyst for, one of the catalysts for the Great Migration. Right. In the early part of the 20th century. Yeah, and there was but, a name, but, I believe. But, you know, you, you have, network. yeah, so, but I'm saying, you know, you have a great-grandfather, a grandfather. You know, you have this, a, a lineage mm-hmm. that was generational, was wealthy, um, but maybe not to the, to the level to of. Level. The Waynes, yeah. Yeah, the Waynes where, where, you know, he built a tram in the city and, and uh, you know, f- you know, founded. You know, I mean, like the Pritzkers in Chicago, where you know, Sinstack's name isn't on everybody's stuff. Yeah, Robert see, Abbott's name isn't right, on everybody's stuff. Right. That's another but, element. I'm glad you said that because that's another element of this is that the Wayne family is intrinsic to Gotham. You know, what mm-hmm. I'm saying they are an intrinsic part of Gotham City mm-hmm. to the point where they're to like you just said in Chicago, the Pritzker name is on, you know, uh, buildings and wings of museums and, you know, parks and shit like that. Um, the Wayne family is the same way in Gotham. You know, you have their name on all these institutions. So let's say using your model, if we do have a, if the Wayne family is black and they are, let's say their, their wealth just for, you know, just for argument's sake, let's say their wealth generates from something like the, the Chicago defender. Let's put them in the place of the sink stacks mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. um, and put them in that, that, that area and say, they are the ones that started that. And then, um, or even, and then later on, maybe they become, you know, the Johnsons, maybe they, you know, they, they do the ebony jet, you know, so they build mm-hmm. wealth that way. So let's just say for argument's sake, let's put them there. Is there, you know, an acceptance by Gotham city of the Wayne family um, as a black family, as the same as the acceptance of the Wayne family as a white family. You know, are we going to see the Wayne name being an African American, African American no. family? Are we going to see their name, you know, in the 19, you know, thirties, you know, the 1920s and 1930s on buildings, downtown Chicago, or excuse me, downtown Gotham, 
you know, are we going to no, see that? No, no, yeah. you're not going to see that. You know, but interestingly enough, I mean, that could accelerate the need for a vigilante mm. because of the way? relationship between what the, you know, the city mm-hmm. and um, city services that are provided uh, to black communities. Mm-hmm. You know, so, it, it, mid, mid-20th century Chicago, mid-20th century New York, Detroit, L.A., Atlanta, you know, these were self-contained black communities that re- recirculated their wealth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, within that community, Bronzeville, mm-hmm. Harlem, right, mm-hmm. and as a re- you know, and as a result, you know, they began to to form alliances in different ways, satisfy their own needs, insurance companies, medical facilities, mm-hmm. stores, basic commerce, you know. So to 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 have someone that needs to you know protect that, especially if there are you know outside people from the outside community coming in. Mm-hmm to do damage, then they have to take care of themselves. Maybe but there is an, a need for a Batman. But see, I see that a little bit differently because to me, the what what kind of like, and we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit, but I think that's okay, to, because we'll come back to, to more of this, more origin right. a little bit in a minute. But right. just to get ahead for a second, what kind of was the impetus for the Batman? What kind of like propelled that need eventually was the deterioration of what the Waynes had established. So we see in Mm -hmm. Batman Begins, especially Alfred talks about it. And then the flashbacks with, excuse me, Bruce and his father Mm -hmm. um, having conversations there on the train. And, you know, Bruce is like, you know, did you build this train? And his father says, yes, you know, we did it for the people. The people needed a better, Mm -hmm. you know, transportation, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. There seems to be a, you know, after the Waynes die, there seems to be a deterioration of that. And that kind of leads to a, um, a need, you know, there's a rise in corruption in the city and that needs tends to, that lends to, or that leads to the need for the Batman. I feel like if the Waynes were a black family and were, let's say, um, let's take Bronzeville or Harlem and put it in Gotham city. And let's say the Waynes were a kind of a champion of, you know, Hey, let's build this wealth and then keep it within our communities and help each other out. I don't see them feeling the need to, you mm-hmm. know, become a big champion for Gotham city as a whole. You know what I'm saying? They would be, they would be representative of the smaller, you know, of the black communities within those cities of the enclaves. And then I don't see the need. I don't see the need for a Batman in this situation. I see them more so the need of that type of, um, I guess I guess what I'm saying is that if they would have established that within their neighborhoods, even yeah. their death, I don't think could have damaged that to the degree that it damaged when they died, you know, um, within mm-hmm. the Batman Begins timeline, because what happens within Batman Begins, they aren't championing a certain neighborhood or a certain group of people. They're just like, you know, Gotham City and we're, you know, they are championing the working class, but they're building trains, you know, downtown Gotham City. They've got a hospital. They've got a huge building, mm-hmm. you know, with mm-hmm. the Wayne name on it, good downtown. And so if you take that, take the Waynes and make them African-American family and then they're championing, you know, Bronzeville or Harlem or whatever. I don't know if their death, you know, destroys all that. I see I actually see a benefit to that because I see mm-hmm. more people following their example and maybe more wealth getting built within these communities and it not being able to be so easily destroyed as it was when in Batman Begins once the Waynes are killed. Does that make sense? It kind does of what I'm because we're trying to protect what we built. Yeah, and I just I, I feel that the scenario that you laid out with 
the Waynes, you know, as a black family yeah. circulating wealth within these black enclaves. Yeah. I see that as hugely beneficial in a mm. way that I don't think is so it's not as fragile as what eventually happened to the Waynes within, you know, the Batman Begins chronology. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I don't I don't see I see them as being more of a champion for the people in the scenario you laid out. So let's mm-hmm. let's actually take them and say as a African-American family who, you know, builds a tremendous amount of wealth, let's say they don't, you know, stay within the black community. Let's say they become, you know, more of a figurehead for Gotham as a whole, you know, in the same way that the Waynes that we do know, you know, and then Batman Begins did. And their name is on a building downtown. Mm -hmm. That I see is detrimental because then the people who help them establish their wealth, you know, the African-American communities, may not view them as part of our struggle anymore, part of our, you know, cultural, you know, um, okay, I, I see, I see. You see what I'm we're saying? Sep- so, yeah, we're separating ourselves as elites. In that. Right. They become, that's the mm-hmm. word I was looking for. They become elites. Mm-hmm. Whereas within the European American community, the white, the white community, there's not as much, you know, yeah, you have, you have working class whites, you have lower income, income whites who may look at, you know, um, someone like the Waynes, if they were mm-hmm. white and say those guys are, they may not use the term elite, but they will, you know, some of them will say those guys are elite. They don't understand our struggle. Mm-hmm. That, 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 um, that dichotomy, that sort of, um, conversation is only expounded upon when you're talking about the black community. We have a huge problem or a gap, you know, between, the you know what we term as the real people and then the elites you know because the elites are such a minority there's such there's so few of them um that we don't view we view them in a very odd way as far as well they you don't understand my struggle because you're no longer a part of my struggle Mm -hmm. um so there's that type of you know push pull like i you know a lot of lower income blacks we want to be a part of that we want to partake in all those things you know we want to have that type of wealth but then there's also that dissonance that it's like ah they don't really understand us, you know? Um, so I, I kind of see that happening. If the Waynes were a black family, that's, you know, would their connection to black Gotham be the same? You know, could they maintain a connection to Gotham? Could, could they be a figurehead in a, you know, hope for black Gotham or would it be the opposite? No, I think they could be a figurehead because in the context, and I mean, I'm sticking with the idea that, that a black Wayne family, Wayne like family, you know, made their money through media mm-hmm. because it was the newspapers that kept the people connected, you know, and produced uh, cooperative economics. Mm-hmm. You know, residents bought the newspaper. In the newspaper, there were ads that were taken out by black storefronts, business owners, um, you know, insurance, doctors, mm-hmm. those people that read the newspaper saw those ads went to those communities because because again they can't go anywhere else Mm -hmm. right you know and so now you have an ebb and flow of dollars recirculating Mm -hmm. everyone is involved you know and everyone begins to you know thrive right and that fundamentally was the model you know for several black communities in different parts of the united states Mm -hmm. um what i really wonder is kind of twofold one what would the reaction be what would the gotham city reaction be in this context if the if the patriarch and matriarch of gotham's black billionaire family was murdered by you know a random stick-up kid Mm -hmm. 
Right. Is that random stick up kid also black? Yeah, it's Joe Chill in the movie and Batman Begins. He's Joe Chill, so is he white or black? Let's you know, actually for let's okay for a minute. Let's just assume he's white. Let's say it's wasn't we are, we're not gonna change everybody's race and the whole thing. So let's say right. Joe Chill. Now we got Rosewood, white. right? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> right. So let's just we're gonna leave him as white. But I uh-huh. think even you know even before we get to that, I do think that the you know. Because you you mentioned the whole the, the you know the Chicago Defender and that empire and then again I, we brought in Ebony and Jet so we're talking about the Johnson family empire right right one thing right. that you know even if if um, in this country in the time period that we're talking about we're talking about generational wealth mm-hmm. even when there was some accumulation of wealth the other thing that the Wayne family has is political connections. You know, you you get the sense that they are deeply, again, they are very much a part of the fabric of Gotham City. Mm -hmm. And as big as, you know, the Defender family, as as big as the Johnson family, you know, as big as some of the other entrepreneurs have been in Chicago, um, in particular, and as we're using that as kind of like a a comparison to Gotham, um, that level of, you know, part of, there's always been some gatekeepers. There's also, there's always been that feeling of, you can accumulate this little wealth. We're still not going to welcome you 100% into this club. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? You're not going to be, you're not going to get allowed full access into this club. Look at how hard it was to get the first black mayor of Chicago, you know, elected. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And the put, you know, in all the, all the stuff that Mayor Washington had, had to go through um, during his time in office, just to get allowed into that deep, deep inner, you know, inner sanctum of Chicago slash Gotham city is a, you know, is a major feat. And I feel like the Wayne family as a white family, as portrayed to us in Batman Begins, you get the feeling that, yeah, this family going back generations was, it was a really important part of this city. They basically mm-hmm. are Gotham city, you know? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. if we, let's, let's, for instance, let's say, okay, you know, the Wayne family is a black family. We've already discussed that they probably wouldn't be put in that position. Right. So that I think that may increase the love that the black community has for them because it's like we are going to champion our own. You know, we are going to uplift this family even though mm-hmm. Gotham isn't necessarily respecting them. So mm-hmm. then they walk out in the alley one night and get shot by some random stick up kids, some random, you know, and like we're saying, a white dude in this case. Mm-hmm. How does that affect the populace? I mean, that could be riotous. You know what I'm saying? You could that could right. that could spark riot. That could, could spark it could. major it could. rebellion because it's like these were our this was our king and queen. You know, this was mm-hmm. our um, they helped us out. They generate they not only generated wealth for themselves, they uplifted our communities. They built mm-hmm. things within our communities. They helped mm-hmm. our kids. You know what I'm saying? They did things for us. Assuming that the Wayne family is as benevolent as they are, you know, shown throughout the, the Batman comic books then yeah, that could be, it would be a much more, I think of a major, um, I mean, obviously it was major in the, you know, the Batman timeline when, when his parents get killed, you know, Gotham, you know, went off the deep end after that, as far as the corruption. But I think that for a people, for the populace, the black populace of Gotham city, um, if the Waynes are black and they get shot by some, any kid, but especially if it's a, you know, especially if it's just a random white dude, that's, that's going to start major strife, you know, in Gotham city. Mm-hmm. on the south side of Gotham, you know, that's going to be a major issue. But it what would also, I think, further sow the seed of a young Bruce Wayne to be a Batman, to to want to react, to protect his community 
and, and by extension his city against I was gonna say white people, but no. <laughs> <laughs> and see, you know what? You know what? I mean, real talk. And we're gonna to get to that. We're gonna to get to uh, that in the part two of this conversation. We're gonna get to that. But that is a you know, it's it's kind of like how are you gonna perceive these things? If the Wayne yeah. family, yeah, the Black Wayne family, if they are a the benevolent Waynes who are not only benevolent in the sense of being humanist. And being, you know, because that's Thomas Wayne, Bruce Wayne's father. He's he's a humanist. You know, he's like he even yeah. says in Batman Begins, I don't even run the company anymore. I work at the hospital, you know, mm-hmm. trying to help right. people. Right. I don't concern myself with those things. Yeah, I built this train, but I, I just built it because working people needed a better way to get to work, you know, needed a better source of train. So he's portrayed right. as a humanist. And I think that right. if the black Wayne family is like that then and they're and they are like you know yeah we're going to help out everybody especially our own because our own are suffering the most mm-hmm. then the, that perception that's let's let's call that situation a but yeah. in a situation b if they are arch capitalists and mm-hmm. like f the world don't ask me for shit you know what i'm mm-hmm. saying if they're like that and are kind of like we are going to travel amongst the elite we don't, you know, we don't associate with the element yeah. anymore. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. If they're like, yeah. Yeah. if they're like that and bougie basically, and just mm-hmm. ultra hyper elite, that's situation, that's situation B. So I think that how they're perceived or how they carry themselves or who they are plays a major role, not only in their, you know, the reaction to their death by the populace of Gotham, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the black populace in particular, mm-hmm. but then by Bruce as a young black man, mm-hmm. Um, his, you know, with the decision making that he makes after that and how that affects him. Um, I think that is, so I, it is important what you said, you know, I don't know we were laughing, but that is a, that is a part in it, but we're going to get to that in part two, more of that. Okay. I think. Let me, two. let me, let me introduce something. And this is something that we haven't, haven't even brought up yet. Okay. But we need an Alfred mm-hmm. and we need an Alfred during this time. <laughs> All right, I know where you're going. Okay. Go ahead. <laughs> is Alfred white? <laughs> if. Now let me and now let me answer my own question. I uh-huh. think he is in order okay. for this to work. Okay. The reason why is because if we're talking, if we're still talking about, uh, you know, a a quasi modern context, mm-hmm. you know, there are there are still class issues, race issues, etc. Right. Alfred becomes your bridge. Alfred becomes the one who can go into the department store, you know, and shop. Alfred's the one that can go into <laughs> communities that right away offhand mm-hmm. other members of the Wayne family can't go mm-hmm. in, but need to go in in order to, you know, to do business, to have these relationships, mm-hmm. you know, politically mm-hmm. and otherwise, you know, to to maintain this cooperative economic mm-hmm. situation that they've created for the black community. Mm. So Alfred I, becomes the the face. <laughs> that's right. Alfred become Alfred he's becomes the, he's the, on the face. cover of the album. <laughs> Alfred, that's right. The, yeah, yeah, yeah right, 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 right. And Alfred also for Bruce, you know, mm-hmm. becomes the balance. Mm. I mean, that's, let's say because you were just talking about Thomas Wayne being a humanist. Mm-hmm. I don't run the company. I work at the hospital. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't run the company. I work at the neighborhood garden, right? If Alfred has, you know, left-leaning Leninist, Leninist communist ideals, <laughs> right. he's going to roll with a black family because he's mm-hmm. going to he's going to abstract up with the people. There you go. Right. right. 
Yeah, that's um, man, that's that's, and this is why I think we really you get really into time periods and timelines. You know, yeah. at what point does a you know? Because I, I believe that they didn't get into this in Batman Begins, but in other comics and other stories, you get into the fact of the relationship between Alfred and Thomas Wayne. You know, mm-hmm. and why um, he had why why Alfred has such fealty to the Wayne family, and yeah. you know that goes back to that relationship. So. Then you get into an interesting story where, okay, if there's this relationship between this um, white Englishman and a black American, you know, where did that start at? You know, was that a, did it, wasn't in the war? Mm-hmm. Was it, you know, mm-hmm. saying, how does this mm-hmm. happen? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that becomes a very interesting part of the, uh, the story. And then to your point, how does that affect Bruce? You know, how's the relationship, you know, what is the, especially after the Waynes are killed, and right. Alfred becomes his his guardian. Does does Alfred? You know, is this now we watching different strokes? You know, what do we what are we doing? Yeah. You know, how how does Alfred continue to raise this young black man who is unlike? Right. It must be noted who is unlike any other black man in the country. Young black exactly. man in the country. He's a billionaire. And let and don't forget in every iteration of the Batman story, Alfred is always an older man. Mm-hmm. Presumably, he older knew. Than- Bruce, he's older than Thomas Wayne. Right, right. He's 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 effectively a senior citizen, mm-hmm. right? So he has the viewpoint of at least three generations. Mm-hmm. You know the the grandparents, the parents, Bruce. Mm-hmm. So he's yeah. so. You, you you see what I mean? So it's not just that the Bruce depends on Alfred. Thomas Wayne depends on Alfred also. Because right. he's that he's he's that elder, more worldly figure who's been yeah. to other I, places. I would, you see what I'm I saying? Would, I would think in that in framing it like and this that, is still I would think realistic that, glue, though. I, I feel this is still realistic glue. Yeah, and and to take that even a little bit further into the to the to the area of realism, I think that Alfred would have to be that cat who he didn't just march on Washington, you know, with King. You know, he didn't just do that. You know, he was with the Black Panthers. You know, he was Marlon Brando standing, you know, standing yeah, with the Black was, Panthers. He, I you mean, know he saying? could have that's, been with the Pullman Porters. Right. That's, you know, and that's, that's, I think that's Which were the, the type porters of, that distributed the newspapers to the, to the Southern states. Right. That's the type of um, white revolutionary, you know, mm-hmm. you'd have to, because at that point in time, if we're going to take it back to Alfred in his young days, um, all the way up until the time where he ends up, you know, being the, the guardian of, of, of Black Bruce Wayne, of young Black Bruce Wayne. Yeah, I think that his origins would have to have that sort of element and it have to be a radicalness in him, you know, to, you know, to align himself with all these ideals um, of, of the Wayne family, of the black Wayne family. Um, yeah, that's interesting. That's interesting. And, and, and I mean, Chris Nolan's Alfred, I mean, he 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 was tracking, um, um, you know, he he told the story. In the Dark Knight, oh, where he was yeah, tracking the, the Jewel yeah, Thief. Yeah. So this man's in the jungle. <laughs> he's been he's a mercenary. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> right, tracking yeah. mercenaries. Yeah. So I guess I guess what we're saying is that if we make if we make Bruce Wayne a black man, then we have a whole other story of interesting, you know, right. interesting narrative involving That's right. Alfred, involving Alfred, which That's right. makes sense because you know you have that, you know, even to my in my mind, even more so maybe than the the Batman Robin thing the Batman Alfred relationship, you know, is, is, is mm-hmm. paramount when it comes to this, this character. Cause um, Alfred is always, always, always an influencer. Right. Right. And like I said, you know I mean? He raised them, you know, after yeah. to a certain degree. So, 
Um, before before we move on though, Joe Chill. One note about Joe Chill in mm. Batman Begins um, when he's on trial, his right. attorney you know is trying to paint a picture of why he committed this random act of violence, mm-hmm. and he says you know the depression. So I'm and I'm assuming in the Batman Begins timeline they're not necessarily talking about the Great Depression of the 1930s, I believe. Um, they're talking yes, about late, very late 20s, early 30s, right? Going right, into so, the 30s, but yes. Right. So they're talking about another depression. Maybe they're maybe they're even talking about, you know, they weren't talking about the recession, obviously the Great Recession, but mm-hmm. they're talking about another depression in that timeline. So anyway, his attorney says it's about chill. He says, you know, the depression hit working people like Mr. Chill the hardest mm-hmm. um, and his crime was motivated by dot 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 desperation, you know, mm-hmm. so. Mm-hmm. Putting it in that frame, like if we take that that a few minutes ago when I laid out that situation B for the Wayne family, yeah. um, situation A being the positive thing, situation B putting the Wayne the Black Wayne family, let's just say they were somewhat reviewed as elitists and mm-hmm. separated from mm-hmm. the South Side of Gotham, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Joe Chill then becomes part of you know not necessarily a champion. Not a, not going to just champion random murders, you know. But mm-hmm. if he becomes more aligned with the working desperate class, and just mm-hmm. you know, kind of just kill these people, kind of like I hate to bring this up because I don't want to to big up this movie too much because I didn't I just thought it was okay. I didn't think it was a great film, but kind of like what happened in the Joker, mm-hmm. or not the Joker, but Joker, yeah, um, where you saw at the end of the film, uh, the you know the the quote unquote riot happens and then the guy just kills, you know, Thomas Wayne and, and, and Martha Wayne. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's almost like he or the, or Joker himself is kind of heralded as representative of the people, you know, striking a blow right. at these ultra elites. That scenario could play out, you know, if the black Wayne family is, re, you know, viewed in that situation B and Joe chill is viewed as a symbol of the working class. Um, and he has I can see that sympathetic view. There's yeah. a sympathetic viewpoint that you could apply. Right. But, you know, in this country, racial dynamics always put, uh, play a part. So if Chill is white, mm-hmm. and we don't change him to a black character. If Chill is, if Joe Chill is white, and he kills blacks, you know, Gotham's black billionaire family. I have a hard time thinking, you know, even if he is Chill's representative of the working class, and Black Wayne's are in that situation, be regarded as elites. I still have a hard time thinking the black populace of Gotham would rally around him or anything. You know what I'm saying? I still think they would be like, this motherfucker killed, you know, he could have killed all these other billionaires. There's all these other white billionaires around. He he killed the one black billionaire family, you know, so I could see that being a thing. So I I thought that was interesting though, how in, in um, Batman Begins, they made that distinction and showed Mm -hmm. that, you know, chill was a part of the working class. So Let's um we're running short on time. Let's move into what was the last part of this this uh the origins conversation? Uh well Bruce coming of age going into his twenties and he seeks out the League of Shadows. Right. So yeah, so and this is I think this is consistent in a lot of the comics, um, going back all all the way to Frank Miller's um year one. We see Bruce, you know, as a result of these, you know, he's raised by um Alfred. Um, mm-hmm. presumably into his, you know, to his teens. And then he goes, I think he goes off to boarding school or he goes off to, you know, he eventually goes to college. But as we see in Batman Begins, he's kind of like, fuck college. I'm done. You know, I just, you know, what's the point? He just, he's lost basically. And he tries to actually, he kind of plays killing. He tries to kill Joe Chill. Um, but Falcone's uh, people beat him to it. 
and then after that, you know, he's truly lost. Um, he just jumps on a ship and basically like leaves, um, and, and decides to kind of like travel the world to find, mm-hmm. find out what, what he is supposed to do. Um, so if we see that as the lens, you see that through the lens of him being a black man instead of a white man, does his, do his travels change at all? I think so. Uh, fair chance he goes to the Caribbean. <laughs> he does, so he doesn't go to Nepal or, or uh, the northern reaches of Asia. He goes, he heads to the Caribbean. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Come on, Arthur, get a bit. He's he's hurt, man. He's brought. I mean, he's he's fractured. He's a broken man. He just gets on it. Let's let's say when he gets on that steamer or that ship or whatever, he's just like wherever this thing is going, I'm going. And that joint didn't look like it was going to the Caribbean. So fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> Let's assume enough. that he's headed to to the outreaches to the to the nether regions and the nether uh, parts of say um, of Eastern Asia or even Northern Asia. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say. I mean, he he winds up he winds up in China. He winds up in Japan. Does he necessarily wind up in Nepal? Mm-hmm. I, I I don't I don't I don't see that. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. Let, let me ask you this. But this but you know, but you know, I mean, the whole thing was that he wanted he went to travel the world as a criminal. He wanted to understand the criminal mind, and I think that's that's a that's a that's a key point in the narrative. Right. He wanted to understand the criminal mind, and I think he wanted to. He had been obviously he'd been sheltered, you know, his entire life, not just by wealth but by fame, mm-hmm. um, because he was Bruce Wayne. He was, you know, his face was like like Falcone says later, his face is on magazines, you know, he's, you know, the Prince of Gotham. Yeah. And that changes a little bit too. I think his his income it's it's harder, I think, especially in certain parts of the world, it's harder to hide as a black man than it is as a white man. Mm-hmm. Um May I don't know about certain parts of Asia. I can't I I can't say as as a black man who has spent some time in Asia, has, has been to Asia, um there was a high level of conspicuousness that I felt um because you know it's going to Europe is one thing you know there's a lot of um European influence on America obviously so you don't you Mm -hmm. know you feel there's some sort of you still you feel the synchronicity between these two places um going to Asia you do feel like you're on another planet because everything is so different you know it's and I actually like that you know I like that about it because you truly got to you know experience something completely different than what you were raised in but then um you know, walking and being in Beijing and walking, um, I forget the name of the street, but towards the Forbidden City mm-hmm. and Tiananmen Square, um, being the only black man within, you know, I don't know how many miles radius, mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe mm-hmm. maybe mm-hmm. a hun- couple hundred miles <laughs> of, of radius. Um, there's a high level of conspicuousness and, you know, where people yeah. are, were literally coming up to me and asking me if I was from America, you know, <laughs> where I, you know, just like boldly just mm-hmm. walking up on me. Um, I spent a week in a Tokyo neighborhood and, um, you know, everyone just assumed I was in the Navy. <laughs> right. Why else would you be there? You stick out. And some people assumed, you know, asked me if I was a basketball player. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you know, I'm not short, but I'm not that tall. <laughs> right, I'm not six uh-huh. five, six six, but at the same time, yeah, that was an assumption. So we say all that to say that we're assuming that Bruce Wayne is a black man. There is going to be a little bit. There's going to, at least going to be a moderate, more a moderately higher level of conspicuousness than were he, you know, white Bruce Wayne. So that's one thing to consider. But you made the point that he traveled the world to learn about you know the criminal mind, and I think that's one. That's that's a major thing. Everything we've talked about to this point, 
Um, I think there's been some really stark differences when we look at, you know, you know, white Bruce Wayne family compared to black Bruce Wayne family. But I think this is a huge difference because there's a line in black, uh, black man and Batman begins um, where Bruce is talking to Descartes, who, you know, mm-hmm. um, eventually, you know, spoiler alert. If you, I guess if you haven't seen Batman Begins, you know, we should have said spoiler alert at the beginning of this thing. But I don't know why you're even listening to the show if you haven't seen Batman Begins. But Descartes ends up being, spoiler alert, Ra's al Ghul. But at this point, Bruce doesn't know that. So anyway, he's having this conversation with him, talking to him about his travels, you know, before he got to the um, League of Shadows, you know, um, compound. Mm-hmm. And he tells Descartes, he says, you know, when he the first time he had to steal to eat, you know, to survive because he, you know, he, he, he didn't have any money um, or access to money. Nobody knew who he was. So he had to actually steal food in order to so he wouldn't starve. And he said, the first time I did that, I quote, I lost many assumptions about the simple nature of right and wrong, end quote. Mm-hmm. And I thought mm-hmm. that was a really, really interesting statement. When I saw the film, I thought that was interesting. But then if you put this in the context of Bruce Wayne being black, mm-hmm. one, we could think maybe he had that, maybe his father or something, somebody in his life, his mother, somebody taught him that before, you know, so mm-hmm. maybe he he already knew that, you know, because being black in America you you know not to say that every black person in America already understands that nuance, but you you know there's a higher degree or there's a higher percentage or a higher a better chance of you understanding that nuance as yes. a black American based on yes. the history of black people in this country. Um, you understand the you know you have lost those assumptions about the simple simple nature of right and wrong, and you understand how the need to survive leads mm-hmm. to. A criminal act you know you understand how that can happen on a daily basis so yes I, but it's still it's still abstracted when you have means and means doesn't have to translate into billions of dollars mm-hmm. means is simply you've never been in a situation where the lights have been cut off in your house you've never been in a situation where you know you've been hungry and when you are of the generation that has built the means built the environment in which you have means you understand both sides Mm. but as you're born into that environment and you can scale basic means all the way up to you know you don't even have a need to carry money because you've got so much money right that's still basic tenet of right and wrong is abstracted because it's it's told to you it's told to you what is right or wrong right you haven't felt it yeah right so you still have to have the path that Bruce has which you just quoted to put to to want to put yourself in a position where you where where you don't have the means to do X Y Z, including eat, shelter mm-hmm. yourself. Mm-hmm. So I th- I think that that leads me to think that I should say that leads me to think that the difference between a black Bruce Wayne and the white Bruce Wayne that we see portrayed in, in Batman Begins they converge to me at that point. Like there's not, mm-hmm. a, there's not a huge difference. I, right. I'm agreeing with there. you. Yeah. 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 And, and I mean, that, jokes aside, I still don't believe, I mean, if, if you grew up in Chicago, I don't believe you're going to hide and learn all this in a place colder <laughs> than being in Chicago. So listen, Bruce, Jamaica Bruce, aside, I just don't see that same path happening listen, Bruce, Bruce <laughs> from a locale a standpoint. Like I said, Bruce was broke down. He was on a mission. He was going to go wherever the wind took him. So, yeah. And I think, you know, to be granular about it, I think 
he was actually in a warmer climb, I think, in somewhere in Asia when he got busted. You know, when the, when the cops came in on him and his boys were stealing. True. You know, yeah. Yeah. True. Actually stealing Wayne Tech, you know, stuff from off the taking a shipment off of a truck or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he got shipped, I think, to the northern, a more northern uh, part of uh, of Asia. I don't know if it was China or if it was Nepal at that point, but yeah. So he's in this place, and I think that that point when he is explaining that to Descartes about his you know, understanding of the criminal, not necessarily being, I'm I'm, I'm putting words in his mouth, but I think this is a fair assumption, not necessarily being born of evil, you know, so much Mm -hmm. as Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. many criminals get led into that life out of the instinct of survival. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that changed something in Bruce. And so at that point, when he encounters the League of Shadows, and they are like, look, we'll train you. We'll train you because he says, I want to find justice. You know, I want to give, you know, serve justice to. Um, he basically says, I want to get rid of corruption. That's what Bruce is about. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to, you know, find a way to put fear in the hearts of those who feel like, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but those who feel like they're above the law, basically. Mm-hmm. So he's not mm-hmm. just talking about, you know, cats on the streets. He's talking about the higher ups, you know, the, the hierarchy of city government even. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where I see, yeah, a black Bruce Wayne would have probably that same, a black Bruce Wayne may have gotten there even sooner than white Bruce Wayne. You see what I'm saying? Because he would have made, sure. he may have made that leap a lot easier and be able to understand this ain't about Joe chill. This mm-hmm. is about mm-hmm. what drove mm-hmm. Joe chill to do what he did, you know, and that's, that's what I need to attack. But then when he gets in deep with the league of shadows, and Descartes, you know, when he's at his little graduation ceremony and Descartes is basically like, you have to execute this cat, this mm-hmm. guy we found stealing from his neighbor. You got to execute him, prove that you're willing to do whatever it takes to defeat evil. And then we'll let you lead these cats. And he's like, well, where am I supposed to lead them? Oh, by the way, we didn't tell you that part. We're going to go burn down Gotham City because um, right. it needs to fall. It's, <laughs> just, it's, it's, it's effed up beyond all recognition. Mm-hmm. We got to just burn it down. Mm-hmm. And of course, Bruce, white Bruce Wayne is like, nah, I'm not going to do that. That's the convergence point. Cause I'm like, black Bruce Wayne would have been like, y'all are complete. You guys have missed the point. It's not about the evil is not something born unto people. This is something that, you know, the, 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 the situations in the context of the society and geopolitics and all these other things, these millions of this whole, you know, wide spectrum of things have led this to this event we have got to attack that. We can't just burn down Gotham and think that, oh, it's going to be rebuilt and this isn't going to happen all over again. So um, you're saying you're saying that the motive to save Gotham would have shifted? I'm saying that the motive that from Bruce Wayne's perspective, yeah. I think black Bruce Wayne would have had the exact same motive mm-hmm. as white Bruce Wayne, even more so to the point we see in Batman Begins and in um, Dark Knight. But let's just let's just look at Batman Begins right now. We see Batman, you know, when he comes back to Gotham, Bruce is like laying out the structure of the city, he's sitting on the floor. He's actually looking at how this hierarchy works. You know, how is yeah. how are these drugs coming into the city? Mm-hmm. Who is corrupt in the police department? Who in the city government is helping them? You know, so on and so forth. So he's not just about the Joe Chills of the world. Mm-hmm. I think black Bruce Wayne would have been on that, but even more so. I think he would have been mm-hmm. really hard on look. I'm going after these cats at the top. It's going, we're going to top down here. We're not even going to deal with it. You know what I'm saying? Because the cats at the bottom are, are in many ways are victims, you know, of these cats at the mm-hmm. top. So we are mm-hmm. going from the top down. So I see them being the same, but I see that black Bruce Wayne would have been even more so um, in that, in that, that vein of, uh, of thinking. Ducard, listen, Ducard says at one point to, to Bruce, he says the criminal is not complicated. So this is in direct contrast to what Bruce has learned. 
Bruce has learned, yeah, the criminal is complicated. The circumstances that lead to criminality are complicated. Um, mm-hmm. The League of Shadows is like, no, nah, it's not complicated. We're just going to burn down. <laughs> so we'll, we'll burn the city down and then, you know, we'll rebuild with our own, you know, thinking and we'll do this, that and the third and right. everything will be cool. Bruce's, you know, divergence from that is like, no, the criminal is complicated and I'm not going to become an executioner um, to make this, you know, to get this thing done. And the League of Shadows is like, nah, you have to show that you're willing to do whatever it takes. And I think that they have different, they have a different viewpoint on what whatever it takes means. And that's where I see Black Bruce Wayne being that same way. And probably, you know, to my point, like I said before, being even hard, more hardcore about that. How would a Black Bruce Wayne have clashed with Raz Al Ghul? And, and, you know, you kind of went over a sort of a high level ideology, mm-hmm. but I mean, let's perceive that, you know, Ken Watanabe or something, because, <laughs> you know, I mean, like, how would an Asian Raz Al Ghul interact with a black Bruce Wayne? Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, do these same kinds of perceptions? It's interesting because there are, if you look and Batman Begins in the background, they don't think they have any speaking roles. But in the background, you see some black um, members of the League of mm-hmm. Shadows. Yeah, um, yeah. There's at least one brother, maybe a couple. Um, so it's presumed that this is a organization that is multi-cultural, um, multi-racial. Um, so I think, to me, I don't took because I think that the League of Shadows went after Bruce because they saw an opportunity. You know, they they recruited him. Because they saw he is our way into Gotham. If he's he's out here right. looking for something, a destabilizer, right. he's a way we can, to mm-hmm. right. We can we can use him and kind of he can lead these men um, in a way that we can't in Gotham. Um, and then when it comes to rebuilding Gotham, um, he can maybe be the figurehead or he can be the you know the the, the orchestrator of that. After mm-hmm. we've killed off you know the, all the people we're going to kill and you know we burnt the city down to the ground, mm-hmm. so. I don't, you know, how do they, again, I, I guess, it, Arthur, it goes back to what we talked about at the beginning of the show, the the situation A or situation B of the uh, Wayne family, you know, how do they perceive not just Bruce Wayne, but how do they perceive this black, you know, right. Wayne family, right. where are they at with their, you know, how, how uh, institutionalized are they into Gotham, um, how institutional are they to Gotham? And I think that's how, you know, they would view Bruce. Not okay. necessarily and as an individual, but as a, you know, as a, as a representative of this, this Wayne, this Wayne empire, basically. Right. And I'm wondering, I'm wondering in the con- in the context of a black Wayne family mm-hmm. who's gotten their wealth the way that they've gotten it, you know, who presumably are, are, are introducing and, and escalating, uh, you know, community Community wealth, cooperative economics, blah, 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 blah. Right. Right. They may not have even wanted to destroy Gotham wholesale, mm. which is what you have in the in the in the uh, in the storyline of Batman Begins. Mm. Um, but maybe even in a more selective way, because they would want to protect what this black Wayne family has built. So maybe they become like the communists, um, and, yeah, uh, or even or even the fascists in a, in a World War Two, and try to appeal 
to the black, you know, to the black soldiers or the black, black populace of America and say, we're with you. You know what I'm saying? We are, <laughs> we're right. going to save Gotham and give right. it to you. You know, right. maybe that's right. what the League of Shadows does. And that, right. that may fit because the League of Shadows are, they're radicals, you know, and, and, not, and I don't mean that as a compliment. I mean, they're radicals in a way that, again, they're, they're willing to be executioners outright, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I think that maybe that's the way that they approach it as, if you know Bruce Wayne is black Bruce Wayne is coming from this lineage of you know championing for the people Waynes you know the Wayne family is that type of of uh empire of the people for the people then maybe that is the way they approach it and say listen you are going to be our figurehead of giving Gotham back to the people so you know maybe we just burn down the loop <laughs> maybe we just burn down right downtown. something like that we take care of the west loop or something <laughs> right right we burn down or the gold, the gold coast, coast or something we burn down the right know, it's like the ideology we... the clash with ideologies you know are are based on a different premise and right. it's not whereas it's not it's no longer Sodom and Gomorrah mm-hmm. but it's this other thing that conflicts you know mm-hmm. with the black bruce wayne mm-hmm based on the impl- impl- implication that he sees for what his father has built. And then that, and I, you know, I think we can end it here on that note. I think that in that vein, then the situation for black Bruce Wayne follows the same path as the situation for, you know, a lot of African-American situations. It just becomes more complicated. You know, mm-hmm. in other words, it's more complicated for black Bruce Wayne than it is for white Bruce Wayne. It's already complicated for white Bruce Wayne. You know, it's complicated the situation he's in right. that he finds himself in at that moment when he has to choose what he's going to do with the League of Shadows is already complicated. Make Bruce Wayne black. It becomes more complicated. I think that's what we're saying. So we want to hear what you're saying, because, uh, of course, we did follow the, no- the Nolan storyline uh, and. um Batman Begins in the Dark Knight uh, were shot in Chicago. Isaac and I know Chicago, so it's easy for us to talk in a Chicago context. But things that we were talking about, these kinds of communities, uh, were also present in Detroit, Atlanta, New York, Los Angeles, um, the Bay Area, Oakland specifically. You know, so we want to we want to hear those kind of variances and what you think uh, would have happened had Bruce Wayne uh, been black. Yeah, and if do us a favor, um, when you guys, you know, obviously hashtag Mad Unreal um, after you, you know, when you post your thoughts, but do us a favor, is try to stay within the origins because that's what we're focusing on right now. So we're looking at, <clears throat> excuse me, like you know, the origins of the Wayne family, um, like we talked about today, their wealth, their ascendancy within Gotham City um, as a black family. And then the the origins of, or I should say, the death of of Martha of, of Thomas and Martha Wayne as uh, the black um, patriarch and matriarch of this family, mm-hmm. and then the the choice that Black Bruce Wayne makes of leaving Gotham and you know joining the League of Shadows. Try to keep your thoughts and questions around there because we want to, you know, we're going to move into part two of this discussion, um, not next episode because next episode is Clone Wars, but after that we're going to get into part two of this discussion. And then there's um, two other parts that we want to jump into. So four parts total. So as we're doing that, we kind of want to, you know, have a good conversation around these things, but make sure that we're all talking about the same thing. So if you can scope your your thoughts and questions to those um, to the origins that we talked about today, that would be dope. All right. Full lid. Episode 16 of Mad Unreal. 
hashtag Twitter hashtag mad unreal. Uh, my name is Arthur. I can be found on Twitter at A R R T H U R R. And I am Isaac, and I can be found at, at Isaac Perry at I S A A C P E R R Y. Um, yeah, make sure you guys hit us up. And what do they need to like us at and follow us at and all that stuff? Uh, subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Uh, please leave a review. Uh, it's great for discovery. Uh, follow us on Spotify. Uh, we can be found uh, via Pocket Casts, via Overcast, Google Podcasts. Um, anywhere that you can get it, we will be there. And listen, watch Clone Wars because we going deep next episode. So watch yeah. it. Get caught up on Clone Wars. Watch it. Finale will be, I believe, on May eighth i think it's going to be the finale so series finale so catch up on it get up on your d plus and um we will see you guys back here on may 12th keep it unreal peace